1: You know about the Chicago mayoral candidates' policy positions, but how did Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis grow up? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. We're eight days away from Chicago's mayoral runoff between Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson and former CPS CEO Paul Vallis. A lot of coverage of the candidates focuses on their career experience, but we wanted to know about their childhoods. So WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times politics teams researched the upbringing of the two men who want to be the next mayor of Chicago. And we talked to WBEZ reporters Tessa Weinberg, who covered Brandon Johnson's childhood, and Mariah Wolfel, who covered Paul Vallis's childhood. How different was this for you, exploring their lives beyond their career and their relevance to a potential mayorship,
2: Mariah? Sure. So I think we went into these stories kind of asking the question of, like, what motivates mo- what motivates each of these people? Um, what inspires them? What drives them to do their work every day? Um, is that, you know, coming from a place of ego? Is that coming from a place of serving the community? Of course, it's always a little bit of both, I think, when you're talking about a politician. Um, but also, uh, yeah, what is their demeanor li- mm-hmm. like? What's their leadership style? You know, they're going to be responsible and overseeing uh, thousands of city employees are going to be responsible for hiring it and for you know setting the tone for the workplace of the city of Chicago and so kind of taking a look at what what you know what's their personality like? Yeah, the workplace of the city of Chicago. That's
1: funny how we forget that it's an actual it's many people's workplace. It's a it's a, it's a job. Yeah, uh, Tessa, you focused on Johnson's childhood as I mentioned. This is through um, through to teaching and CTU organizing. So how did he grow up? I mean, he talks on the campaign trail a lot about growing up in Elgin. Beyond that, what did you learn, though?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's the middle child of a really big family, 10 kids. Um, he grew up in a three-bedroom really? house in Elgin. Um, and it was definitely something, you know, he talks about on the campaign trail a lot, that he learned his negotiating skills by learning how to, you know, negotiate space in one bathroom with 10 kids. Um, but it was surprising to learn more about, you know, he talks a lot about how his dad's a pastor. But through the, you know, this profile and reporting it, learning and hearing more of how much, you know, religion and faith was a really big part of his childhood, how that shaped him. Um, But then kind of seeing how he chose, you know, the path of public service, which, you know, I think leads us to the origin story that we kind of are familiar with of, you know, teaching and the CTU um, and then going on to be commissioner and now, you know, vying for the the spot of mayor.
1: Yeah. And Elgin, of course, being 40 miles northwest of, of Chicago. So speaking of faith, Tessa, I want to play this clip from his sister, Andrea Johnson Williams. Here she talks about how that was growing up for them.
0: The high schoolers had to get on the bus maybe like 530. So everybody had to get up and we all marched downstairs and we, we started our morning every single morning with prayer.
1: Speak more about this. Faith seems like it was really grounding him
0: growing Mm
3: -hmm. up. Yeah, he talks about, you know, faith being kind of this grounding force, um, you know, of his marriage today. And he was, you know, really involved. It sounded like in the church growing up. He was the youth group leader. His sister talked about how, you know, 15-passenger church vans, that was the car they grew up driving. He would cart them around, you know, did different gospel singing competitions and that, especially after their mom died who suffered from um, congestive heart failure and later other health issues that he really took on this kind of leadership role in the in the church and helping to lead that forward wow. and that, um, you know, his sister now leads the family's church, but she talked about a lot of people thought it was going to be him and
1: it seemed like that was kind of the path he, he had originally been on. Johnson's travels with him and his wife are also big. Let's hear him talk about this. We didn't go around proselytizing the world. That was not our objective. It was more about just understanding the, the the unique qualities and the makeup of our people and the commonality, that even though we have been separated physically, that we are still very connected um, spiritually, ideologically, emotionally. And that's not missionary work. That's liberation work. And that's why I became a teacher how did this shape him mm-hmm. yeah
3: so he and his wife um you know they traveled across the globe to places like africa south america cuba um you know he says they couldn't always afford to go together so sometimes they went one at a time mm. um but when asked about these travels you know he says they really helped shape his teaching Um, But he pushes back on any characterization of them being, you know, missionary work or anything of the sort. He really talks about it more as kind of, um, you know, these travels really shaped his ideas around, you know, liberation, around um, seeing the connections of black people across the globe. And he talks about he's been able to incorporate that for students of, you know, these experiences he's had and how he could connect them back to maybe things they were experiencing in Chicago and kind of similar circumstances in some senses.
1: Yeah. And as we know, he spent years teaching, but many— still may not understand the connection. They they may not understand how he went from that to entering politics, Mm -hmm. right? Was elected office something that the people that you got to talk to around him, did they think he was going to pursue this?
3: Yeah, you know, it was interesting. So he was only a teacher for a few years, and as he's been involved with the the Chicago Teachers Union as an organizer and lobbyist, you know, longer than he spent teaching even. Um, and one of his former colleagues who got to know him really well, his first teaching job, she, you know, remembers when they were, um, you know, walking through Taste of Chicago downtown, the downtown skyline skyline around him. Johnson was only in his second teaching job. He'd only been there a little bit. And she recounts, you know, he was talking about joining the teachers union and maybe leaving teaching and that he was really torn about this decision because he loved teaching so much. But that joining the union, he felt he'd be able to do more and accomplish more. And mm. she remembers this story because he also said, according to her, that he also felt the union could be a stepping stone for greater political aims. And so it seemed like that was maybe kind of this, this you know. Turning point for him, perhaps, or this is where he saw a path to maybe achieving more and doing that through maybe elected office. Yeah, as at some well. point he
1: went from Mr. Johnson to Commissioner Johnson. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so and you know the the teacher who's recounting the story, she really said that this she felt this was an emblematic kind of um, you know anecdote of just who he is about having this kind of bigger plan for himself and seeing and laying out the steps to get there and you know definitely being kind of a planner in that way of of his future and that this is the role, you know, that he maybe sees now as being able to accomplish the most
1: for the city and for, you know, the people. Yeah. And Mariah, let's shift over to you. You focused on Paul Vallis's upbringing. I'm curious what you learned about his growing up that you didn't know before.
2: Sure. So, I mean, he kind of grew up as this shy kid with a with a stutter and a stammer. And Paul Vallis kind of talks about that on the campaign trail sometimes that he stuttered into his 40s, that this was something he had to overcome. He grew up the second of four kids uh, in a small apartment agro- above his grandfather's grocery store in Roseland, and then moved to the south suburbs of Palos Heights. He's the you know grandson of Greek immigrants. His his grandparents um, you know lived with him growing up. For a little bit as well. And then he really had a hard time in school, in high school and, you know, in elementary school. He was bullied a lot. Yeah, his he- brother brought that up too, right? You talked to um, his younger brother, Dean, who said that some of his
1: earliest memories of, of Paul was just this lanky kid with a speech impediment that other kids used to make fun of.
2: Yeah, and I think Paul Vallis's reaction to that was to kind of just uh, stay quiet. He talks about having played with imaginary friends and really relying on pets like Goldfish to keep him company, um, you know, kind of playing sports with the other kids, but mostly just keeping to himself to yeah. avoid bullying. So he had to go through
1: some sort of process to to grow into himself and build confidence, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, I think that that kind of came to fruition at Western Illinois University. Paul Vallis worked in, you know, his family. They moved to the south suburbs um, when his dad bought a restaurant in Alsep, Illinois. And so the family was kind of working together at that restaurant. And Paul Vallis decided that he... Um, wanted to go to college instead. So he first goes to a community college because he says he didn't have the grades to test into a larger state school. Then he transfers to Western Illinois University where he starts to really apply himself. He and his brother um, describe him like going to the weight room um, in a very disciplined way and like lifting a bunch of weights <laughs> while while studying and kind of going through this like academic and physical Transformation and graduating with good grades, a major in political science and just building like, you know, the confident and outspoken Paul Vallis that we see today. Well, maybe it's the
1: major in political science, but I I wonder if the folks around him, if it looked to them like he was someone that was going to be set to have this long career in public service or even elected office.
2: Yeah, I think, like, maybe not so much when he was a younger kid dealing with the struggles that he dealt with in school and socially, but I think, like you know, just as anyone close to you, when you start to see them become, you know, more rooted and, and confident in themselves, that you're kind of like, oh, this is the person I always knew you could be. Like yeah. Paul Vallis tells a story about how his mom always used to tell him that like the one thing holding his holding him back was not working hard enough. And so it's kind of like that him realizing his potential mm. story. Um, well, here, here's a moment where he spoke about his temperament when it comes to getting things done.
1: Let's hear a little bit of that.
2: You don't see me behind the scenes, but I have an intensity when it comes to issues that I'm advocating for or things that I'm trying to do, and I don't get the response that I expect. But it's not the type of anger that does damage. It's the type of anger that reflects frustration, but then it's forgotten and you move on.
1: So what should we make of this intensity that he speaks about?
2: Paul Vallis right there is responding to criticism from people we spoke to, including a parent in New Orleans who said she would meet with him on a regular basis to advocate for a school in her neighborhood and has witnessed temper tantrums by Paul Vallis, you know, like screaming, slamming things on the desk. She said that when he doesn't get his way, he really can turn ugly. Um, And there he is kind of making a distinction between someone who is angry, you know, in the moment and can maybe scream. But then he goes on to say he's not a punitive person, that anger doesn't carry on into grudges or, you know, retaliation. And, you know, I I think that kind of is something that voters might be concerned about. A a, a mayor, you know, we saw voters kind of tear Mayor Lori Lightfoot apart for her temperament and the quote unquote temper tantrums that she threw um, in office. And so I do think voters care about temperament. And this is someone who has, you know, kind of repeatedly said he's out of temper, but also says it's because he's passionate and that might be seen as an asset to some people.
1: Yeah. Well, Tessa, what should people who are looking to become more informed during this, this last push to Election Day, what can they do?
3: Yeah, well, they can listen and read WBZ. Um, there's also, you know, still plenty of forums coming up, including WBZ has one with the Sun Times U Chicago this Thursday at 6 p.m. And you can tune in, you know, listen live on air, come in person at UChicago's Logan Center. Um, and so, yeah, there'll be
1: opportunity to hear the the candidates speak, you know, directly on these issues. And you can hear the candidates speak directly this Thursday at 6 p.m. I'll be hosting uh, a mayoral forum right here on WBEZ. Uh, it'll be held at the University of Chicago. Um, So anything, I'm curious before I let you go, anything that surprised you along the way with this reporting that maybe didn't make the story?
3: I don't know if it surprised me, but it was a fun anecdote of, you know, we didn't get to include him in the story, but, you know, Johnson talks a lot about, you know, his time as a teacher, about the impact he's had on his students, but we did get to speak with his high school economics teacher, Hmm. and he just had a funny anecdote of the first time he ever met Brandon was when um, actually not it wasn't in Elgin it was in Chicago they were going uh, back to Elgin for uh, after a field trip and the one student who didn't make the bus back was Brandon Johnson <laughs> and so he had to take him home on the metro t- train the teacher missed his softball Uh-oh. game but it became this kind of inside joke from over the years so it's fun to
1: hear these you yeah. know more lighthearted
3: anecdotes we'll about. leave
1: it there WBEZ politics reporters Tessa Weinberg and Mariah Wolfel thank you both thank you thanks That episode of The Reset Podcast was produced by Michael Liptrot and edited by Meha Ahmed. WBEZ has a lot of other great election coverage online. You can find out more about the candidates' policies and how to vote in the upcoming election by heading over to WBEZ.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. That's all for now. We'll talk to you again this afternoon.